Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. We're working through the eight qualities that are necessary for building a life that lasts. And today we're looking at the fifth quality, which is perseverance. Now let's start by reading together. And like the last week, if you're ready, we're going to start with verse number three of 2 Peter chapter one. You ready? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I quit. Have you ever felt desperate enough to speak those words, desperate enough to quit a job, quit a relationship, or quit a volunteer position? Just, I quit. I quit to learning a new skill or finishing a project or chasing a dream. I just quit. Sure you have. We all have. Sometimes quitting is the best possible decision that somebody can make. Do you know when it is never the right time to quit, though, when it involves matters of faith, of trusting in and living out our faith in Jesus. You see, there's no way we will have an impact on this world that we're destined to have if we quit too soon. We are destined to have an impact. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have been given everything that we need, God's power and God's promises to live a productive and effective life. There is a condition, though. We must add to our faith perseverance. There it is. If we're going to build a life that lasts and make our corner of the world a better place, quitting cannot be an option. We must go all out to keep going. Now, is it easy? It's not. Because life is not easy. Life is full of disappointment, hurt, trials, frustrations. Is it easy to keep your faith when life seems unfair and God doesn't seem to care? Is it easy to continue to do good when it doesn't seem to make a difference and no one seems to notice? Not according to the countless number of volunteers who resign every year out of extreme frustration. Is it easy to continue to work toward transformation when results seem few and far between? If it was, there wouldn't be so many people who give up on their Bible study or diet or exercise or budget or recovery group meetings every single day. So how do you persevere whenever you want to quit? 
For the next few minutes, we're going to look at the story of a man who was ready to call it quits. And not just any man, but a prophet of God. And not just any prophet of God, but the great prophet Elijah. For those of you who may know or recall on one occasion, Elijah courageously challenged King Ahab and the prophets of Baal to a showdown to see whose God was mightier. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. The crux of the challenge was whose God, upon request, would rain fire down from heaven to burn meat on an altar. It's an amazing story, but for the sake of time here is what you need to know is this. Elijah's God, the living God, showed up and showed out. While Baal went MIA, it was a decisive victory, the kind of victory that should have left Elijah riding high for days. But instead, Elijah was soon in the depths of despair, literally depression. What? Why? King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, one of the wickedest women to ever walk the face of the earth, promised to kill Elijah, just as she had done so with many of the other prophets. And when Elijah got wind of her threat, he made a beeline out of town. He ran all the way from Jezreel to Beersheba, a total distance of about 90 miles. Now, was that a wise decision? At first glance, it seems so, but I would argue that Elijah actually played right into Jezebel's hands. She could have easily killed him without warning, but instead, she gave him a 24-hour window of time just to get out of town. Why? She knew if Elijah quit on his commitment to God, it would discredit both he and his God. It was the same thing that Satan had hoped to do with Job. He didn't want to kill Job. He just wanted to hurt him to the point where he would, well, where he'd quit on God. He wanted this good, righteous man who had done so much good in the name of God to discredit him in the end. Now make no mistake, it's the same goal that he has for us. It's so easy to believe that if I quit, quit on faith or morality or ministry or marriage, that it will not hurt anybody else but me. That's just not true. The ripple effect is always greater than we can imagine or realize. Quitting causes pain, confusion, at least people in the lurch, maybe even gives others permission to quit themselves. Thinking about those who will suffer from a decision to quit can provide the motivation to keep going, even when life is hard, when answers are few and faith is difficult to come by. Now, Elijah was ready to quit, not just his prophetic work, but his life. This is where I want to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. To this weary, frightened man who was declaring, I quit, what did God say? He said nothing. He didn't chastise him for his lack of faith. He didn't give him three reasons why he should hang on. He chose instead to simply take care of him. Continue reading verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. 
You see, instead of trying to talk Elijah into a better decision, God gave Elijah what he needed to be in a better frame of mind to make a decision. Rest, food, drink, and more rest. See, so often, this is what we need whenever we're ready to quit, isn't it? We need the time, the space, and care so that we can actually consider logic and reason instead of being ruled by our emotions. Emotions in and of themselves are great. They're given by God to protect and heal us. We don't need to be afraid of our emotions, but we better question them. Why? Emotions love to give advice. The problem is they're not very good at it. Grief tells us to ditch God. Shame tells us to hide from God. Desire tells us to ignore God. Failure tells us to stop trying. And anger and hurt, well, they tell us to end relationships. See, our emotions will always try to convince us to quit long before we need to or should. The odds of arguing our way out of an emotion is slim to none, but we can put our emotions in their proper place with good self-care. Good rest, diet, exercise, and fun, I think are all crucial to being able to persevere through the hard challenges of life. Now notice, once Elijah was rested, God led him to a brand new location. Verse eight, it says, so he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now why Horeb? Another name for Horeb is Mount Sinai. Now, this was the very place that God led Moses and the Israelites to after freeing them from Egyptian captivity centuries earlier, of course. God brought Elijah to this place, I believe, to remind him that if Pharaoh was not a problem, Jezebel certainly wasn't going to be a problem. If God could handle Pharaoh and Jezebel, don't you think he can handle the difficult, painful, scary threats in your life? Of course he can. Will he handle those things in the exact same way that you hope? Not always. In fact, what he chooses to do will often make no sense at all. He is, however, far more equipped, far more knowledgeable about how to best care for us than we are. I think you'd agree with that. Those who persevere have a deep trust that God can and will lead them to a place of peace, of joy, healing, and just, just freedom if they would just stick with him. It may not be today, may not be next week or next decade, but a better day is coming. It's this future focus that will keep us going. All right, after leading Elijah to Horeb, God engaged him in a conversation by asking him a simple question in verse nine. He just said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And to that question, Elijah poured out his heart to God about his frustrations and his disappointments. And in verse 10, I love it because it says, that he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Can you relate to his, how he's feeling at all? God, I try so hard to get the family interested in spending time in prayer and Bible study, but they just roll their eyes. God, I've made every effort to share my faith, but no one shows any interest. God, I have tried to reconcile the relationship, but it falls on deaf ears. God, all I get for living a good moral life is grief from my friends. What's the point of even trying? God's response to Elijah was to have him go stand on the mountain in his presence. What took place next on that mountain was a moment that Elijah probably didn't soon forget. It's verse 11. 
says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in that fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Why did God whisper? There are several possible reasons, but I appreciate the observation of one scholar that said, the point of God speaking in the still small voice was to show Elijah that the work of God need not always be accompanied by dramatic revelation or manifestations. Divine silence does not necessarily mean divine inactivity. God often acts in people's lives in subtle rather than big demonstrative ways. While we may not see it now, in due time, we will see his work in our lives and through our efforts, if we will stay the course, and that's important. We're reminded of that truth by Paul in Galatians 6. He just said, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to, to please the spirit, well, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's not easy to keep going when things only seem to be getting worse and not better. But knowing God is always at work. Even though it may be in small rather than in demonstrative ways, quiet rather than thunderous ways should be more than enough reason for us to persevere. This moment that surely made a huge impression on Elijah is one that he did not get. How do you know? I know because God asked Elijah, what are you doing here a second time? And Elijah gave the same, woe was me, nothing is changing. I'm the only faithful one left response. Was he the only faithful one left? Not by a long shot. Listen to what God said to Elijah in verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, Satan tries hard to convince us that we are the only one left because he knows it is hard to persevere when you're the last person left standing. This is really critical. Do you know the best way to see through all that lie? You get away from the cynics and the doubters, the whiners, and go all out to do life with believers who are devoted and determined to follow Jesus Christ. When you look back over life realistically, you will discover that moments that were toughest actually became doors of hope and greater dependence on God. Pain gives us the opportunity to practice perseverance. Failure is never final for the one who learns to persevere. It's so important to develop perseverance that Peter made it one of the big eight virtues. Perseverance it's just steady. It's just steadiness. It's steadfastness. It's doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And that's exactly the point that Peter was trying to make for us. Even when there's a delay in success, we must add perseverance. It can be especially hard to persevere whenever you're suffering because of what others have done. But we can learn how to cooperate with God consistently and faithfully. Don't allow losses to freeze you in place or cause you to develop an attitude against the Lord, or I'm going to say it, or the Lord's people. 
Regardless of what path you choose to walk in life, failure and setbacks will occur. Some of those things are going to be brought on by others, but some of them are going to be self-induced. You can do everything right and still have something bad happen. While the desire not to fail is admirable, and it is, perfection can only be a very dangerous and destructive illusion. That's why Peter said to add perseverance. He knew you'd need to develop resolve to serve God, regardless of the outcomes. While circumstances change, God's word and his promises never change. Peter is suggesting that every one of us can develop perseverance, especially following a failure. Scripture declares that God uses suffering to train his children much like a father does for his children. But sometimes as troubles and failures or pain pile up, the desire to just call it quits can be overwhelming. Confidence to take another step seems so far out of reach. Almost every leader we read about in the scriptures had a moment when they were ready to give up. That's why I love this verse in Hebrews 10.35 so much. It's written to some, to some great saints who were contemplating giving up. He just said, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And I want you to just remember that. Life is filled with opportunities to quit. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times that we shouldn't stop one thing and move to the next. I'm not saying that at all. In his opening statement, though, Peter reminded us that God is faithful to his promises. And because he is, perseverance pays off. Not sometimes, every time. Failure isn't final, so try again. That's perseverance. God is faithful to his word. If God said he would, then he will. When tough times come, just get just get ready because that means that your growing season has arrived. Trust God. Keep going. Stick with a course of action, a belief, or a purpose all the way to the end. Focus on God. Add to your faith one day at a time without regard to discouragement or opposition or even a previous failure. Be persistently determined. And along the way, accept support from family and friends. Don't be prideful in that. And realize that exercising self-control is one of the important aspects that is needed for developing perseverance. And that's why it's listed before perseverance. See, perseverance is easier when you're controlling your thoughts and words. Exercising self-control also helps prevent distraction and enables you to focus on the goal in a better manner. Learn from your failures. Don't get disheartened because of difficult situations that you might come across. First, control your thoughts. Keep your mind set on all things above and not on earthly things is what the scripture teaches in Colossians 3. Where do you need to start again? Now, before I pray for you, let's say this together. It'll be on your screen. Today, I will persevere. I will not give up. Now, let's say that again. I want you to emphasize the word today. Today, I will persevere. I will not give up. Think about this. What if the greatest challenge in your life is yet to come? Do you find that depressing or exhilarating? Whichever it is, it will look different for each one of us, but it will be worth it. You need to know at this point to expect it. Expect the challenge. Expect it to get harder at certain points. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. Take one step at a time. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, I pray for all of your saints, all of your people,
For those who are listening who may just be investigating the claims of Christ, I pray, Father, that you will help us to be men and women who persevere. I pray, Father, that you will give us what we need when we need it. And I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.